0: This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the 343 Podcast. On this episode, I'm joined again by my good friend Joey Cassio to discuss the U.S. Men's National Team program and all of the latest news and action. Specifically, we talk about the U.S. Men's National Team's game against Canada in the CONCACAF Nations League. This was the second time they faced off against each other, and it was a much-anticipated game. I think fans felt like there was a lot riding on this game, even though Ernie Stewart had come out recently and said that Greg Berhalter's job was safe, no matter what the result was going to be. I think U S men's national team fans and a lot of people in or involved in American soccer were really, really looking to see something special from the U S men's national team. And even though we got a four, one win, it wasn't the way that we were promised. It was going to happen specifically. U S men's national team only had 36% possession against Canada at home. When we've been told that this, is not the way that we want to be playing. So Joey and I discussed that. Joey provides some excellent tactical observations about why possession broke down in certain areas of the field. Joey also went ahead and has provided a lot of photo and video evidence on his Twitter feed in regards to the tactical breakdowns that happened in the game against Canada. So you can find all of that on his Twitter feed at Casio underscore FG. During this episode, him and I, we also talked about the media's reaction to the game we thought that was uh quite predictable leading up to the game we we had a feeling that you know if if the U.S. men's national team won that you know the the parade was going to happen and you know sure enough it did so we discuss uh the media's reaction the predictable reaction to this 4-1 victory over Canada We also got a chance to see the U23s play this weekend in a small tournament in Spain. The U23s got to play against Canary Islands. And more importantly, we got a brief, brief, brief glimpse of what can potentially be a very powerful duo in U.S. men's national team's midfield in the future. But we got a chance finally, finally to see Alex Mendez and Richie Ledesma on the field in USA jerseys together together. At the same time, but these two kids have a lot, a lot of promise and seeing them playing together is something very, very special. So Joey and I discussed that. And we also wrap up our coverage of the U-17 World Cup. That tournament concluded this weekend with the final between Mexico and Brazil and Mexico's starting lineup featured American born Efra Alvarez. So Joey and I discuss that towards the very end of this episode. You can find over 200 articles and over 200 podcasts on 343coaching.com. That's where we have been dissecting American soccer for more than a decade now. And we also offer a coaching education program for ambitious coaches who want to learn how to coach possession-based soccer and who want to learn more about the gold standards and the global standards of the game that we sit here and dissect every single week. The 343 program is what develops players like Ephra, like Alex, like Uli, you know, the guys that we talk about here all the time. And you can see exactly what went into the making of these players. You can see the proven methods that Brian Clybin used to create these players that are, you know, the biggest and brightest prospects for their respective national teams. And you can start implementing those methods with your own teams. So to learn more about the 343 Coaching Education Program or to find more episodes and articles dissecting American soccer... You can head to 343coaching.com. Once again, that's the numbers, 343coaching, all spelled out, .com. All right, let's get into today's episode. I hope that you enjoy this discussion with my good friend Joey Cassio. Let me uh, let me get your just your general reactions, your thoughts about the U.S. men's national team game on Friday against Canada. What what are some of your first thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, some of my the first things that come to mind are it wasn't a great game of of soccer, but I I will say that uh, I felt Canada was the better team. I know people won't won't. Probably agree with that based on the score line, but looking at the strategy of Canada, try, you know, they were trying to build up um, into the US's half, but you know, they, they just don't have the individual quality to really uh, break down the opponent on a consistent basis and create a lot of danger in front of the goal. So, it, yeah, it was interesting. Like, I, I kind of thought Canada had looked like U.S. a little bit in past games where the U.S. was trying to possess the ball. Like, not a, not too much danger. Uh, Alfonso Davies, yeah, he's got some dribbling ability, whatnot. Like, a couple times he created a little bit of danger, but there just wasn't too much. In the second half, I will say Canada uh, got deeper into our half and seemed to be closer to our goal and having possession of, uh, a little bit more around our 18-yard box. But uh, yeah, it, it, in terms of the US, they seem to drop off defensively uh, and kind of allow Canada to build up into, or at least close to our half, you know, the US's half. Um, and then when they won the ball, they, I don't really know what the plan was. It was just kind of all over the place. Uh, the decision-making to, to launch, like, a well-executed counterattack. It it just wasn't there. And then, yeah, there there was absolutely no possibility of building out of the back based on the spacing of the players. Uh, So, yeah, it was kind of chaotic when they won the ball. So it wasn't a great game to watch, but in, in my opinion, I thought Canada was a little bit better.
0: Yeah, Canada dominated possession. They completed more passes. U.S. only had... 36 possession or 36% possession of the ball only completed around 300 passes. Um, I in the first half I kept a close eye on how many five pass sequences the US and Canada completed. And so when I say five pla- or five pass sequence I mean like how many times did the US complete five passes or more in a row? And I was only able to count that four times in the first 45 minutes. And I think Canada, I counted more than 10. So um, I like that, that we've, or that you specifically have, have continued to point out Greg Berhalter's uh, his, his idea, his own ideas and and holding him accountable to his own ideas. When we're talking about how the U S did because ball circulation and breaking lines and goal scoring opportunities have, have been the things that we've, been using to see if he is actually getting the style of play to come out in these games right so when we're talking about five pass sequences that requires or kind of implies ball circulation so if the u.s is only completing four five pass sequences that leads me to believe that there was no ball circulation and i kind of want to get your your thoughts on on, you know, those three points again, because you've been, you've, you've been using those throughout these episodes to kind of hold Greg accountable. So your thoughts on that. And then I, I want to get into some more of like the tactical stuff, because you did a good job breaking the game down on Twitter and there's some, there's some good content that you pr- provided on there.
1: Yeah. It, it was interesting going into this game, you know, obviously the last game they lost to Canada, a lot of frustration, uh, you know, that we saw on social media regarding, uh, you know, the identity that Greg had shared with the public that that that's how the team would play. Uh, yeah, and and building up to this game, you know, Greg shared that only a win will suffice. He shared that with the American outlaws. Uh, and and it just seemed like maybe the pressure uh, to win this game maybe forced Greg's hand a little bit to abandon the ideas that he he's been talking about now since he was hired and just try to go, you know, the the route that the U S national team has always gone physicality and pace to, to win the game, to ensure that they got the result. Um, I found that interesting. Uh, What we have to keep in mind is, is if that is the case and there's a lot of fear uh, going into a game against Canada, that, That concerns me it's not like we're playing brazil or or france or any of the major uh global superpowers in world football we're facing canada and with it being a must win uh yeah the idea was to go the route of physicality and and pace and and even uh greg talked about one of his uh, player selection, specifically in Zardis, he he talked about why he chose Zardis over Sargent, and he said exactly that—that that Zardis's physicality and pace was better suited for the game uh, in Orlando against Canada. So I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, I think that we have to continue to demand. Possession-based football from the national team. We have to evolve. We can't keep doing things the way that we always have. It, we're never going to be able to compete with the best if, if we continue down that road. We have to. Uh, we have to evolve. And you know, even if we're playing Canada, you know, the, the coach should be at a level high enough to prepare the players to be able to do so. And we didn't see that.
0: And to my knowledge, Greg Berhalter hasn't come out and, and said that you know the style of play is changing. I haven't heard him say that he's moving away from ball circulation or breaking lines or goal scoring opportunities as being the goal for his team. And you watched the post game press conference. Did did he mention anything about like changing the game plan or is this just, you know, kind of what you picked up by watching the game?
1: Yeah, it's pretty much what I saw during the game and in the press conference. No, he, he didn't mention that at all. Uh, you know, he did say that, you know, that they're nowhere near where they need to be and where they're going to be, um, which is all great. But, you know, we, we're waiting to see signs of, of progress uh, in the direction of, you know, what he has said is his identity for the national team and we haven't seen it. So yeah, it, it really leads me to believe, John, that he was very worried about not winning this game and maybe the backlash that would have been that would have followed from the fans, uh, and so he abandoned his his ideas to make sure that he got the result.
0: And and I think that people are rightfully pointing out that getting the result is ultimately you know the what we want, like we want, we want wins, but we also want it to be coupled with, you know, a, a, a serious identity or a serious, um, yeah, serious way of, of how he wants his team to play. So when somebody like in the media says that this was progress, but how, how is it progress if we're not making any, any steps towards achieving some of those goals that, that he wants, uh, to achieve and instead we're almost like regressing, to the way that we used to play, like back in the '90s, which was all based on like that hard work and physicality, kind of like that Eric Winalda, um, like late '90, like 1998, like that era, right? Uh, even like 2002 under Bruce, like that was really the last time that they had that like hard work, um, hard effort, blue collar mentality. So I, I wouldn't say that we're making progress just by getting a result. I would say you know if we're gonna abandon the the possession-based identity that Greg has kind of been preaching and, and that the media has kind of been propping him up as like this Pep Guardiola kind of guru type guy. You know, if, if, if we're moving away from that, then I would call that not progression. I would say that's regression. I don't know how you feel about that.
1: Yeah, looking at the best in the world, if we want to compete with the best nations in the world, we have to be able to uh, competently play possession-based soccer you know and there's different ways of doing that like even if you counter attack you know to some degree it's possession-based soccer you have to be able to move the ball up the field you know crisp and clean under under you know possession as quick as possible to create a chance on goal we aren't seeing any of that so if the goal is and it should be to be competing with the global superpowers we have to evolve into a possession-based team and there's going to be growing pains with that so we need a coach in place who can, you know, speed up that process and get us to that point as quick as possible. And so the, you know, the results we don't suffer too much in the results column. But yeah, looking at what Bro Halter has done so far, it seems to be, um, you know, he's tried to implement a possession-based system. Uh, we really haven't seen any signs of top-level execution in that area. And this game against Canada, abandon ship and hey, just go the old route. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in in the Cuba game and going forward. I'll be honest, against Cuba, like we're gonna look like world beaters. Let's face it, it's gonna be no problem and it'll probably look like we can play good possession soccer. Um, so really, I should say like when we when we start playing tougher tests, we should be able to show signs of progress in this area. And if not, then yeah. We're in trouble. We're in big trouble. What?
0: Well, I I guess we should still like be using that same those same three criteria to to judge you know if progress is being made because I I kind of wrote down in my notes like okay so ball circulation fail we we failed to really circulate the ball breaking lines fail we we didn't really have possession of the ball in order to kind of break lines. Even, even that counterattack where we got our second goal, I wouldn't really consider those like breaking lines passes or, or anything like that. So uh, fail on that, on on that front. And then goal scoring opportunities, I would say we passed um, because we converted, you know, obviously four opportunities. And in, in that regard, I would say, yeah, cool. Like we, we, we scored four goals. That's very good. That can, that can be celebrated, um, but you know, none of those goals can really be attributed to any type of like build up play, especially like no building out of the back, no long possession sequences, nothing came from breaking lines, anything like that. So, um, you know, out, out of, you know, two out of the three criteria, I would say we failed at, um,
1: yeah, I agree. I agree. And yeah, like, like you said earlier, I shared some stuff on Twitter. Uh, I showed some examples of when we were in possession, uh, in our own half and it was good moments to try to build out of the back to create something going forward. And yeah, you, you just see that the execution is very poor, you know, and, and they're not able to do it whatsoever. It's, you know, launch it forward, um, or turnovers is usually what it resulted, uh, into, yeah, the, the ball circulation. So yeah, without being able to, properly space uh the players properly space themselves the ball circulation wasn't there um, yeah breaking lines if yeah like you said if they did it was usually just sort of like get the ball up you know every now and then maybe there was a, an okay pass to to play into the forwards or, or maybe into one of the midfielders but yeah i would say that's a fail there and then the, the chances on goal like the first one was from a corner kick uh you know, the the second one, Ariola dribbles 10, 15 yards into the Canada half, crosses it to Jordan Morris. His first touch goes. It's not a great first touch. It, it takes him wide of the six-yard box. I thought the goalkeeper made a poor decision to come out and let Sardis all by himself, little cross goal. The second one, another set piece. Uh, or sorry, the third one, another set piece. And then the fourth goal, yeah, Canada sleeping, uh... We launched it over their back back line to Yedlin. Yedlin crosses it. McKinney tries to throw a scissor kick. It hits off the Canada defender right to Zardes, and he scores. So, yeah, did, did we create quality chances consistently throughout the game? Yeah, I, I don't think we did.
0: Okay, so I guess uh, I left out a word because I, I just had on my notes goal-scoring opportunities, but I, I forgot that it's actually creating goal scoring opportunities. So the way that we create goal scoring opportunities and the way that Burhalter has worded it in the past is he's implying that the goal scoring opportunities should come from ball circulation, breaking lines and pretty much a possession based system. And what you kind of just described. So two set pieces, um, the 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 other goal where Ar- Ariola dribbled that came from like a long clearance from from Canada from their goalkeeper and then kind of just like a, a, a mishmash after a long ball from us into the box so yeah so n- the way that we created our goals if we're looking at it like that I would give that a fail then I w- I wouldn't give that a pass
1: yeah yeah but hey we we scored four goals
0: <laughs> yeah no exactly right so that's what people are like how can you guys be complaining. But it, when you look at the, the the criteria again, it's like, well, then it's easy to complain because we didn't really we, we didn't really tick the, any of the boxes that we wanted
1: to tick. Yeah, this is the thing against the top teams in the world. That's not gonna cut it. Yeah, it's just
0: yeah. And actually, uh, you know, I, I I think one of the more funny things about that game was Weston didn't have a great game, but one of his best moments, one of his best passes was like a, like a filtered ball through the back line. And you highlighted it on, on Twitter with a little video. And and it unfortunately goes to Jordan Morris and Jordan Morris pretty much just scuffs the, the, the left footed cross into the box. But you know, that was like one great kind of flash from, from Weston of, you know, that would be exciting to see that more often, but that was that, that, was really an outlier type pass or outlier moment in that USA Canada game. That's not something that Weston, you know, does or, or, or did, uh, very often during the game. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. Morris Morris had some moments where I can see how people might be convinced that he's an okay player. And, and I call that the mirage of CONCACAF. Hmm. You know, when you're, when you're playing these teams in CONCACAF, an average player could look like, you know, maybe there's something special, but again, Jordan Morris matched up against the back line of Italy or one of the top defenses in the world. There's no way I would trust that guy to create danger against a back line like that. Yeah. no way.
0: yeah, no, no way. Against France, against Germany, yeah, against you know world superpowers I, I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine that those those guys are afraid of having to defend Jordan Morris. Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) And I I do think that, you know, a lot of us men's national team fans, I I posted some stuff on Twitter yesterday. It sounds like from the reaction that a lot of us men's national team fans are not convinced that Jordan Morris is the answer to, to some of our problems. So that kind of leads you to think like, all right, well the coaching staff obviously does. So maybe that, maybe the coaching staff is suffering from the mirage of, of concave. I like that little, little phrase, by the way. I wrote that down. Yeah,
1: and McKinney, like you said, we we talked about that yesterday. Like McKinney plays for Schalke; uh, he's a regular starting player, and so people think because of that that he's he's a good player and he should be an automatic starter in in you know the national team. It's like, man, it, uh, did you see the performance that he put in against Canada? It's it's not great, and if you know we if our system is maximizing the potential of you know the youth players in this country. Then McKinney's probably not a starting player in our national team. He's probably on the bench, or maybe he did, he's not even in the roster.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I I've mentioned this before too, and and I don't think I've I've fully um, formulated this thought or articulated this thought appropriately. And I don't know if I'll do a good job right now either. But just because somebody plays for a first division team in any country in the world does not make that person, you know, international, you know, an international caliber player like a like a men's national team starting player. It's just that's not the that's that's not how that goes. How many players week in week out start in the Bundesliga? Not all of those players are playing for their national teams, especially you know like how many German midfielders play every week in in the Bundesliga. Not all of them are starting for the German national team, and so we shouldn't we shouldn't use that as like the criteria just because um, you know these guys are, are playing somewhere else, other than the United States, does not make them a lock for the U.S. men's national team roster. And uh, yeah, I guess I, I I still need to work on articulating that, but you know there there's a lot of other things that need to that need to fit for. In order for a player to become a lock on a national team roster, and just you know, simply playing in Europe is is not good enough, in my opinion. Hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, the the media reactions because I I think we both kind of predicted that USA would win, and I think we both kind of predicted that the media reaction would be very uh, very positive. So what, what did you observe from the media, you know, immediately following the game? Cause you watched the post, the post game press conference. And then, you know, in the, in the days after.
1: Yeah. in in the press conference, no, no real hard hitting questions to Greg. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of the terminology used was um, like the effort was better Kind of like the cohesion of the team w- was much better than the previous game. Just that kind of stuff. Um, no, I think someone might have brought up the identity thing like we had talked about. But anyways, the, the, the mainstream media, you know, on social media and whatnot. Yeah, we saw a lot of... Um, People sharing, oh, it was a revenge win and the, the U.S. bounces back and it was an excellent team performance, a massive response. And it, it's just crazy, man. Like, again, putting into context, you know, we're playing in CONCACAF, we're playing against Canada. The expectation in that game should be, you know, I give an example on Twitter Spain versus Malta, where it's, a complete assault on the opponent's goal, you know, 65%, 70% possession, uh, just completely dominating the game. And that's not what we saw. So is that really what we're going to call an excellent performance? I mean, it's just, it's crazy to me.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, I I think you nailed it, man, because people are are using, you know, just the scoreline, to say things like excellent and terrific and positive and things like that, but when you really you know break it down again, I'm going to bring up those three points: ball circulation, breaking lines, goal scoring opportunities. Are creating goal scoring opportunities? It it wasn't terrific. It it wasn't. The, you know the stats show it. Thirty six percent possession. That is not terrific. That is not how we want our national team to play.
1: So hundred percent. Yeah, I I, I I I'm still con- I'm continued to be encouraged by the supporters. You know, the, a lot of the uh, response that I see from supporters is that that it wasn't good enough. And they are sort of questioning, you know, hey, why are, why did we play this way? You know, this is this is how we played in the past. I thought we were going to play possession. So I think that that's encouraging. I think it, it still needs to be a lot bigger of a, a group of the audience or a group of the supporters. But uh, yeah, from the media i they're not they're not fooling anybody like people are watching the games people are seeing what's going on and it's come on
0: yeah uh one other thing that was interesting in the media last week we already talked about it uh, we already recorded an episode and talked about it but ernie stort coming out and, and pretty much giving uh, greg berhalter you know full support saying whatever happened with this game against canada no problem greg is safe um one of the things that I thought was interesting from the media actually came from Taylor Twelman. And, and he said that in the pregame press conference, nobody, no reporter asked about Ernie's comments about Greg. And so, you know, how how can this big, huge breaking piece of news happen in the buildup to this game and not one mainstream media or even just a little beat writer, and nobody, nobody thought to ask about that. That to me was very, that was very alarming. But like you just said, I think enough people on uh, social media and things like that are are, are in tune and already kind of you know pointed that, that out, that that was bad, that Ernie came out and said that type of stuff. I'm just really confused on, well, I'm not really confused. I understand why they didn't ask about it. But I just, I, I found it shocking that not one reporter asked about it. Which is
1: yeah terrible. It, 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 it's concerning, man, that the questions that need to be asked of the program are being are being sort of brought up by the fans on social media. But yeah, the the journalists who are there, you know, to ask the questions and find these things out, they're not they're not digging deep enough, you know. And and I think it's starting to create maybe a divide between the supporters and the people who are covering. Uh, American soccer.
0: Oh, one. I agree with that 100%. And I thought it was actually kind of interesting too, that I'm, I'm starting to notice now that more people are moving in the direction of like being very, very critical of the U S men's national team to the point now where like there's so many people being critical that even the, the critical side is starting to, to divide into different groups. So like, you know, I I'm very critical about the U S men's national team on, on soccer, Twitter, And I think a lot of people follow me because I am, but even people that follow me now are starting to like break off and have different opinions than me, even though it's still critical. I just find that very, very fascinating. Like, like we're, we're on the same side, but we're, we're now providing, you know, different takes, which is, I don't know. I need to, I need to spend more time thinking and articulating that as well, but just something I've been noticing more in the last six months, maybe. I don't know.
1: At this point, if things are going to change, it's going to come from the supporters being critical mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, more and more, and and creating you know more pressure. And hey, we we talked about it earlier. Already, potentially, we're seeing pressure get to burhalter and him ident abandoning his identity that he's been talking about to make sure he got the win. You know, th- these are things that we we have to continue to do, and the pressure will move the needle. But we we got to be critical.
0: Yep, and Gary Gary pointed out, you know what. Uh, One example of what a different culture does to, or or the way that they are critical about their coach, and I think it was um, a a Brazilian fan talking about players like Gabriel Jesus, Firmino, uh, you know, like top, top, top level guys, And, and the guy was basically saying that these guys are junk. And that the coach is junk, and everybody needs to leave. Uh, you know the Brazil program and ma- make way for for better players and, and things like that. And and that's you know a top 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 team, and and um and here we are in the United States. Like you know, Gary said something about Weston and and kind of got like attacked for it. But you know if we're if we're not able to be very very ultra critical about. Greg Berhalter about Ernie Stewart about the 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 program in general about the players then that's a problem and and the more and more critical we are about those people and the games and everything like that that in my opinion is a positive thing and like you like you pointed out I think the more and more that people become educated about you know not only just the game of soccer but why why this program is the way that it is, I think that that's just gonna make people want to join the conversation more and to have you know a different conversation than the media is kind of encouraging us to have, which is about effort and all this other crap. That, that, that stuff doesn't matter. So, yeah.
1: Yep, that's what's needed.
0: I saw another example too of somebody talking about Barcelona and Ernesto Valverde and the Barca culture's cutthroat dude uh the way that the way that the fans treat treat the team and and treat the coach there is hilarious but the somebody highlighted the way that a fan was talking about Ernesto Valverde saying that he was a terrorist that he's hijacked the team and that he (laughs) (laughs) it's like dude to me I was like that's you know that's extreme but also kind of badass the way that he was talking about it he just he called he didn't even name he didn't even name Ernesto Valverde in the tweet he just said the terrorist the terrorist at Barcelona
1: <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that massive pressure is what forges the excellence that we see from Barcelona yep. year in year out man
0: yep no there i mean he's calling the guy that's you know top of the top of la liga he's calling the coach a fucking terrorist and he's he's the best <laughs> team in the league that's the culture that they have, dude. They de- they demand more. They demand more. So
1: yeah, I saw PK PK came out in the media and, and said, uh, yeah, we know that winning winning is not enough.
0: Nope. Oh. They have to win the Barça way. They have to win. They have to win the way that's going to impress the fans. Winning is not enough. Yeah. Um. All right. Any uh. Any last thoughts on the on the full men's national team before we kind of move on to the U 23s
1: no, I think we touched it all, man.
0: Yeah, and and for people that that didn't pick up on it, we m- kind of mentioned and danced around it earlier. That you you did some like tactical snapshots of of the game. You kind of pointed out some stuff from the back line and the spacing and some turnovers and and things like that. So all that is available on your Twitter. So if people want to go and give that a peek. I I highly suggest doing that. It's a good learning experience. They can find that at Casio underscore FG. So go take a look at that. Um, All right, moving on to the U23s. Um, People are always harping on me for being super negative. I thought today was super positive because we got to see something that I've really been looking forward to, which was Richie Ledesma and Alex Mendez sharing the field together. Uh what was your what was your initial reactions to the U23s and and to also to Richie and Alex?
1: Yeah, I think before those two guys were on the field it was just kind of whatever. Um How long were they on the field together? Maybe like 10 15 minutes?
0: 15 minutes max. Okay. Yeah. Alex, yeah, Alex Alex started the game and played um and I think Richie came on like around the 60th minute somewhere around there.
1: Yeah. Well, b- before Richie got on the field, you know, Alex is a top, top level passer of the ball. You know, we've talked about that. But to take advantage of his quality, he needs players around him who can who can take advantage of what he's capable of doing. And, you know, the the timing, the understanding, the, the technical quality, it, it, it wasn't really there around Alex, so nothing really came of you know what he was trying to do um there were multiple players on the field uh, technically you you can see like it, there's multiple like little missteps when, the, when when they're like receiving the ball and trying to pass it you can see little missteps or um bad touch or you know not a well executed pass and it may it may seem like such a small thing it doesn't matter but it does all of these things contribute to the rhythm that the team plays with and Alex has that quality and yeah nobody that I saw on the field with him really really did especially in the movements going forward but then once Richie got on the field instantly there's a change and the U.S. is creating chances on on uh on on goal you know they're in and around the opponent's 18 yard box like multiple chances came goals started to started to come uh it it was too bad we only saw them for 15 minutes because you could see that them playing together man it, it it changes games and i thought it was odd that both of them seemed to be playing like a forward position Yep. uh almost like Christ was afraid to partner them in midfield. Like we've had this conversation before that the thinking here in America is like, Oh, a a Richie or an Alex is a luxury player. And with a luxury player, uh, you have to balance that out with uh, two like holding midfielders who can cover ground and defend. It's a myth because if you're trying to play possession soccer, you need a player with the technical quality of Richie and Alex all over the field. That is how you keep the ball. So, yeah, it was like he was afraid to partner them in midfield and maybe only play with one behind them. So he put them at center forward. So, but even though they're at a position, still they were they were changing the game instantly. Uh, so yeah, it, it was it was interesting to see their 15 minutes together. Once Alex came off, uh, it, it got a little more sloppy. They were still able to create. I think at that point, you know, they'd scored a couple goals and the opponent was maybe, um, you know, feeling the pressure and maybe a little bit down the body language changed. Uh, but yeah, that was the best part of the game for me was when those guys were on the field together
0: yeah i agree i was really excited to see that i was really looking forward to it i was hoping it would happen at the beginning of the second half i was hoping that christ would just make the change at halftime and put those guys on i was actually worried that he was going to take alex off at halftime because alex got a stupid yellow card not stupid on his part stupid on the referee's part referee game i think a time uh card for time wasting which was idiotic but um yeah when when it it finally happened. I was I was super happy. I was smiling ear to ear because it's something that I think I've been looking forward to and that a lot of fans have been looking forward to. But these guys playing together now with the U23s is a good, good, good thing because they are going to be a very powerful pair for the full national team in the future. That's, that's my thought, is that these two yeah. guys are going to be very, very powerful together, playing side by side. Uh, on the full national team, they they do not do well when they are separated. In my opinion, they they do not play to their full potential either. Player, they do not play to their full potential when they are surrounded by other players uh, that don't possess the same qualities that both of those guys possess. They're very they're very similar players too, which is uh, which is which is I think amazing to have two guys that can that can technically execute pretty much anything that you would ask of them but they also just tactically make the right movements. They understand the game. They think about the game the same way. Uh, And that's a lot different than playing somebody next to them that, you know, just is a hard worker and runs, runs from box to box and, and kind of just zooms around the whole field and connects five yard passes and, and things like that. Like Alex and Richie don't benefit from playing next to a player like that. They benefit from playing next to somebody like each other. So
1: yeah let, let's hope that the staff recognized in those 15 minutes together what they're capable of man and let, let's hope that you know they get consistent time together and like like we've mentioned these words and they're groomed for the senior national team yep. because yeah you surround them with Aronson and Capis it's it's not the same those guys are not at the level of Richie and Alex
0: Yeah no I agree I agree man and I think uh, you know what I what I kind of use today as, especially the first forty five minutes, and then their their game against Brazil as as well. It's like you can kind of just look at a look at some of these guys and be like, nope, I'm good. Like I don't I don't need to see more of these players. I'm sorry. Um, go ahead. Go go home. Um, and and so I'm hoping that you know this is not the final group that goes through with qualifying, or that we try to qualify with because I think that we're we will struggle if we go through with this group, but having Alex and Richie on the field together, like you said, hopefully Christ, Christ recognized that that is the best pairing in the, in the center midfield. And, and that is what we get going forward.
1: I have my doubts about in midfield, maybe, maybe the two center forwards. True.
0: Yeah, true. <laughs> I know it looks, it looks so strange. Yeah. At one point I was watching, I almost, I think I might've paused at my TV, but yeah, they look like they were playing a four, four, two with Alex and Richie up front. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> But hey, it worked. It worked. It did. Um one player that I would like to see um introduced to the to the U twenty three qualifying process would be Uli. Uh I know I know that other people are are thinking that, that would be that would be pretty exciting too, so I hope that Christ... Well, number one, I hope that Uli stays on fire where he, where he's at right now. You know, he's he's on a, a remarkable goal-scoring goal streak where he's at with Wolfsburg. And, you know, if he stays in form, I think that there there's no reason to deny him the opportunity to to help the U.S. Men's National Team Program qualify for the Olympics. Uh, also, you know, to, to think that Jonathan Lewis or Brooks Lennon or Saucedo or any of these guys uh, – you know, are light years ahead of somebody like Uli? I would think the exact opposite, actually. I, I would think that Uli's, you know, light years ahead of, of some of those guys. And he's, you know, three, four, five years younger than, than those guys. And and the potential for Uli to become something very, very special for the full national team. You know, the the, the prospect of Uli becoming a, a, a full national team star versus Jonathan Lewis or Brooks Lennon or Saucedo or, or some of these other guys, Bobese or or Mason toy or, or some of these guys becoming like a star for the national team. I think their, their ceiling is very low and Uli's is very high. So why not incorporate him now is, is my question for Christ at this point.
1: Yeah. I I still believe this, Sean. Uli is, uh, after Christian Pulisic, Uli is the best winger in the player pool at this moment. I agree he he's not too young he's ready man he's good enough start start putting him in situations where uh, he works his way into the senior team he's ready
0: yep and one one pretty unique thing that I don't think gets touched on enough is that you know this idea that, that he's young or that alex is young or ephra is young or, or or whatever it's like these guys have consistently played up their entire youth careers they've always played up one or in ephra's case two age groups. And, and so this idea that, you know, you know, they're not ready or things like that. Like, no, like every time that they've been asked to, to make the jump to a higher age group or the next level or anything like that, sure. There's an adjustment period, uh, two, three games or, you know, a a month or two, whatever, just, you know, to, to get used to the, to the new environment, the new speed of the game, whatever. But as soon as they, they pick up on it, man, like these guys, they fit right in. It's no prob- yeah. it's no problem for these guys once
1: they, they've proven throughout their careers that once they make the jump to the next level yeah it takes them 3 games yeah. and then they're flying and they're dominating just like they did you know at at the last step in their development where other guys in the national team pool it's like yeah they want to give them you know 6 months and a year you know to prove that they can handle it it's like what yeah. these guys can they've proved it you know Three games across multiple levels, they've done it. So it's nonsense. These guys are ready. Put them in situations where they can continue to grow.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So I think uh, you know that that's my that's my question for Christ right now. Like, hey, did you did you recognize, like you said, did you recognize that Richie Alex together changed the the entire you know style of the game, the flow of the game, pace of the game, everything? And then you know what's holding you back from from bringing in a player like Uli, I think having those three guys on the field together would be something very 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 special for the U twenty threes. So that would be something I'd be I would be really looking forward to for qualifying. But yeah, any last thoughts on the U twenty threes before we kind of touch on Efra with Mexico?
1: No, all good.
0: All right, so we're gonna close this episode out with some with some Efra talk. The guy. Uh, and let's see, it would have been Thursday, I believe, last Thursday, um, didn't get the start for Mexico and then came on as a came on as a sub and was able to, to completely change the game, save the game for Mexico. And in, in the, you know, the dying minutes of the game last 15 or 10, 15 minutes, Efra hit a beautiful free kick to score and bring the game into penalty kicks and he unfortunately missed his penalty kick. People, I think, are surprised that he tried a Panenka, but it's something that this guy's been trying, again, against older teams. I remember there's a video on YouTube of, of Efra hitting a panenka, as like a, a, a panenka as a 12-year-old against, I think, U14s or U15s with Chivas USA. So not something that he's never tried before, uh, just didn't execute. But anyways, Mexico wins their semifinal game. They, they move on to play against Brazil. Efra starts uh, against Brazil. Game... You know, back and forth back and forth back and forth for most of it, it was super wide open at, at different points effort came off I think uh, I don't know sometime early in the second half uh, Mexico scored was up 1-0 Brazil came back got a got a penalty kick very questionable um, as a referee I don't know if I would give that but nonetheless it happened and then Brazil ended up scoring an extra time to to win two to one so Brazil wins the u-17 World Cup Ephra and Mexico finished second, and it kind of, in, in in my mind, kind of solidifies that Ephra made a very good choice to, you know, be continuing his youth international career with with Mexico. He he got tons of minutes, scored goals, uh, was on you know, was able to advance all the way to the final with his team, while. USA was out in three games in the group stage in very unimpressive fashion. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. From, from what I saw, John, and I, and I didn't watch every game of the U 17 world cup. Uh, but from what I saw, Ephra was the best player. You know, the, the question with Ephra over the past year or so is his fitness. And I, I don't remember the last time he's played a full 90. So I, I, I found it very interesting the way that the Mexican coach handled him, you know, in the semifinal and then in the final. So in the semifinal, he didn't start. Uh, He came on in the second half, fresh legs. Netherlands, you know, not as fresh as as they were in the first half. And Efra makes an impact. In the final, the the coach decided to start him. And Brazil started the game very, very well. I mean, it it could have easily been 3-0 within the first 15, 20 minutes. They were all over... the the Mexicans and Ephra had a few moments uh, but yeah i th- I thought it was interesting how he handled Ephra against Netherlands and then against Brazil his impact against Brazil wasn't wasn't as big uh, and would have it would it have been different if Efra didn't start against Brazil. They try to weather the storm early on. And then again, he comes in, in the second half when Brazil's maybe a little a little fatigued. Efra's legs are, are fresh. Does he make more of an impact? So interesting the contrast between the two games in terms of how Efra was handled. But clearly Brazil for me were Far better, you know, individual players all over the field, way better than the Mexicans. Uh, the Mexicans at times were barely hanging on defensively. They were against the ropes. Uh, it was a close game in the end. Brazil pulled it off. I think they deservedly so. They they deserve to be the World Cup champs.
0: And one of the more special things that we were able to see this this last week is, is we were able to see, you know, full national teams, youth national teams, and, and at various levels on full display. So, you know, we were able to see the U 17s for Brazil. We are, able to see the U 23s for Brazil. And we are also able to see Brazil's full national team against Argentina. And I, I think that, you know, judging them as, or, or comparing them as a, as a total program to something like the men's national team, you know, what we we were able to say the U or see the U 16, 17s. Um, and then recently we were able to see like the full U 17 team at the, at the world cup we're able to see the U23s and then our full national team. And you look at, you know, you compare Brazil and uh, USA side by side, and it's like, whoa, you know, very, 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 very big differences between between the, t- the the two full programs from top to bottom. You know, quality throughout Brazil, top to bottom. And USA, it's like just, you know, canyons, gaps, humongous gaps. It's like, oh, yikes. So,
1: yeah, man, massive, massive difference, man. <laughs> not even close.
0: Yeah, kind of scary, kind of scary to think about it. So, people have again, you they, they can't they can't be blinded or fooled by like what you said, the mirage of CONCACAF, right? Like, the U 17s went down to the world cup, the USA U 17s went down to the world cup, I think, blinded by that mirage of CONCACAF thinking oh yeah we're you know we're good we smashed everybody in our region and we qualified we're gonna go down to Brazil and smash and then nope we we definitely weren't so you know we we can't be we can't let that mirage of CONCACAF you know really skew our perspectives uh, our, our global perspective on, on where we stand you know globally because it's not it's not anywhere near the top right now
1: Yep, hundred percent, man. I agree with that.
0: Yep. Um, all right. Anything else that we that we didn't talk about? I I I didn't want to spend too much time talking about Mexico and, and Brazil because this is supposed to be a US national team podcast now.
1: So No, yeah. I, I think we did good, man. We kinda of touched on uh the U seventeen World Cup, U 23s the national team. I, I think we did good.
0: All right. Uh, people want to again uh, check out those tactical op- observations that you have from the Canada game, USA Canada game. They can head to your Twitter feed. You you also posted a couple little videos uh, from the game. Uh, the one that's the you know the the best piece of evidence I think for for certain players it's the, the Jordan Morris left footed cross, amazing video. Joey Cassio, good job. Um, but yeah, they can find that on your Twitter feed, Cassio underscore fg so at cascio underscore fg Uh, if you guys want to reach out to me for any reason you can find me on twitter at that croatian guy or you can head to the comments on 343coaching.com and give us a big piece of your mind because there's not a character limit there no no 280 character limit there so you can give us all your thoughts on 343coaching.com all right joey i think that's it that's a wrap
1: all right man. Cuba next. Cuba Let's, next hey, we're, we're gonna win. It's gonna be six seven zero. Let's not get carried away, everybody.
0: <laughs> That's good.
1: Keep an eye on the media. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. If you are
0: interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession based soccer, you can visit 343coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. So once again, if you are an ambitious coach and you want to start learning the tried and true methods that have already been proven to work in the American soccer environment, you can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time.